This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everyone, real quickly here before we dive into this episode, I want to talk about e-scouting. Now if you're listening to this show, I got nothing but love for you. Um, And if I didn't truly believe something was going to drastically improve your odds of becoming a better hunter... I wouldn't even bring it up. I recently took an e-scouting course called Treeline Pursuits. Now, if you haven't heard of Mark Livesey, he is pretty much the best in the world when it comes to e-scouting. He's developed an online educational tool that not only combines his extensive knowledge of successful elk hunts, uh, but his massive knowledge in e-scouting. What he's done is he's put a course together that's going to teach you e-scouting techniques and strategies, how to find and identify elk holding features, how to evaluate zones of pressure and trail usage, determining limitations and hunt parameters, researching and developing hunt areas, planning travel and hunt routes, identifying and testing glassing spots, glassing strategies, formulating a a strategic hunt plan, maximizing the full potential of your mobile hunting apps, effectively utilizing prime hunting hours. Now, this course is designed to help improve your odds of killing an elk. But what I plan to do is take the knowledge I've learned in this course and apply it to other hunts that I plan on taking this year or in the future, you know, mule deer, bear, moose, whatever it is you're going to be after, you're going to be able to use these tools and and take them in and apply them to your hunt. It's only going to make you a better hunter. It's going to cut your boots on the ground time down. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm still a huge proponent of boots on the ground, but, uh, you know, go check it out, folks. Believe me, it's worth it. And, uh, you know, because Mark, he loves us Canadians so much, he gave us a promo code to save a bet. Use the promo code FOCUS22 at checkout and you're going to get 20 US dollars off. Um, So great deal, guys. Check it out. And as always, guys, uh, make sure you subscribe give us a five-star rating uh pete and i we really appreciate all that well this sucks and 
So kind of a bummer about the spring bear, eh? Yeah, it was, you know, it was kind of expected, but we still had a, I still had hope. I think there was others who still had hope. It just wasn't in the cards, evidently. Evidently, uh, you know, 100 pages of science and uh, 60 years of historical data uh, wasn't good enough for a, uh, a hunt that uh, has six-tenths of a percent of a harvest uh, from the overall population. So, but we're working on it. I don't know. Um, still working angles, trying to figure out what we can do um this next time around because they're gonna start talking about it in june um so yeah just trying to stay vigilant yeah man that sucks so did they ever hire another person to fill that committee yeah yeah so they as soon as the petition from meat eater and um wildlife council and a few other droids as soon as that got passed right before then there was three open spots as soon as it got passed the governor pushed through three newbies uh one's an environmental lawyer one was a um droid who did work for marine mammals and championed a bunch of sea lion stuff which is a whole other topic and then the other guy is supposedly a lifelong hunter but i don't know what his other credentials are off the top of my head um but yeah all three of them voted no on it really Yes. The environmental lawyer, I, I wasn't surprised because she, I, I just take it that way that she is probably against um, hunting and trapping yeah. and that the marine mammal guy, he's some sort of scientist, um, I believe. But uh, um, the other guy was the swing vote. He was my hope that he, because if he would have voted yes, it would have passed. Right. Uh, the, the hunter droid, but uh, he passed on it. So we'll Fuck see what happens. Yeah, pretty much. That's one way of putting it. Well, yeah, I don't know any other way to put it. That's a that sucks. So when does the cast stuff down California? That goes tomorrow. That's going tomorrow, eight a.m. I think. So I'm going to hop on that and uh, you know voice my one minute support and yeah, hopefully that help. Definitely. It sounds like it sounds like down there that the commission is a little bit more reasonable and following the science that's provided by their biologists and not just you know social pressure and discrediting their own biologists um so it sounds like that california might be safe but we still need to show up and be vocal and yeah absolutely yeah yeah well hopefully it works out especially i mean and down there um yeah but i mean like they're they're that's not going to affect their hunt for this year seth was saying when he was on uh last week so that's good uh, well, I mean, it's not good, but at least it's, they got this one. And he was saying that it's uh, it's most likely he thinks it's going to get squashed. So, but like you said, yeah. you still got to You got to get in there. You got to you got to put up a fight, if not for anything else, just so the people who are trying to stop it, they know the next time that, you know, a fight's coming their way. It ain't going to be a pushover. That's what happened to us up here with the grizzly bear. It just it was easy for him. So, but yeah, we, we all know the repercussions of that. Yeah, absolutely. Which is really a crying shame. I mean, it's yeah, I. I it, it is too bad you know there's a lot of outfitters lost of a lot of livelihood and a lot of small towns and and mom and yeah. pop stores a lot of people lost opportunity and the big thing is is that the wildlife are going to lose out too you know with uh, the depredation yeah. well and there's just the funding won't be there right when you take hunters out of the equation like you know we were talking about a lot like seth and i were talking about like you take hunters out of the equation how much are these these you know the anti-hunters or environmentalists actually putting into groundworks for the animals right they're not putting the you know they're not putting in the, the money the resources to boots on the ground stuff is what's the animals need they're just trying to stop hunters from hunting that's all they're doing you're you're correct you know i don't know how many times i heard during those commission meetings 
uh, non-hunting, non-fishermen types, hikers and mushroom pickers, I'm assuming, claiming that they uh, donate or, you know, give as much to the department as, as we do. And I would like to challenge any of them. You know, I've yeah. got receipts for $260 worth of tags and licenses for this year alone. So if any of them can can match those receipts to the department without a fishing or hunting license, I'll donate 260 bucks to PETA to uh, prove that they don't, you know, they, they don't match up. They just don't. Yeah. Well, and especially down there, I mean, like think of how much money comes from Pittman Roberts. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> again, like that was created by hunters and anglers who created those two, you know, those two funds. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I, I got drawn for multi-season gear permit, uh, this yesterday and that's, I want to say that's $130 or 180 or something like that. So it's another 180 bucks that I'll be giving to the department just to hunt deer when, you know, one, one permit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Can you hear us, Pete? Yeah, I can hear you. I oh, can hear hey, you. There he is. There he I is. can hear you the whole time perfectly. I just I couldn't talk. I don't know what's going on with this mic. I'll yeah. figure it out. Well, well, like I said earlier, that that uh, when you had the mic trouble there, that's the best you sounded in the uh, in the last couple episodes. <laughs> <laughs> might might have been a few few curse words thrown out there. <laughs> no, no, man, I'm just fucking around. Yeah, yeah I was just learned some stuff. It's uh, definitely had some some stuff opened up just in uh you know what to look for and stuff like that just listening yeah. to some of their podcasts and it's like all of a sudden lights are starting to go off I mean, oh it makes a lot of sense yeah it, yeah it really starts to click once you know what to look for yeah absolutely i think it's becoming quite popular this whole bear hunting uh this whole bear hunting thing eh? because like man it, we sure had you sure see a lot more of it like guys new new bear hunters guys who've never bear hunted especially up here i mean i don't know about down there doug but up here, I've noticed even since last year, man, like this this spring season, it seems like there's a lot more people going to be heading out looking for bears. I think it's been growing the last couple of years. I mean, not to say I had anything to do with it, but, you know, the book came out in 20, well, one of the books came out in 2016, the most popular one. And uh, I've seen a, a, a rise of bear hunters kind of throughout. Um, so I hope that had a little bit to do with it. I hope I, I brought some people to the to the bear hunting game um that was kind of my point in in making the book so but yeah yeah well i think if you make it more accessible for people like not more accessible to buy tags and go on a hunt just more accessible to like do the hunt and be successful so if you have a little bit of that you know not everybody has access to a mentor so if you have something like your book you know it's definitely makes things a lot easier definitely i apologize too my my son just got home so my dog's gonna be barking here for a minute oh that that's all good no worries. Yeah, I got the same problem here. I'm just waiting for mine to go off too for my wife coming home too. <laughs> yeah, hey, I'm, not the, I'm, I'm not the best editor, but we'll tr- we should be able to get that out. If not, then there's a dog barking in the background. Uh, and you know that, that was part of the reason too. Like I've had I've had some people who you know want me to come along and hunt with them. Uh, um, you know, to try to teach them or something like that. But part of the reason I wrote that book is to is for people to learn how to hunt on themselves, uh, you know, on their own. And uh, a book is an easy way to mentor a lot of people. I can't always be in in multiple places at once. And so, you know, if you if you pick up that book or read articles on it, you mentor yourself type of thing. Yeah, and there's no there's no better way to learn than just get out and do it. I mean, yeah. you can have. You know, one thing about a mentor is it's great because they kind of, they're taking you out and holding your hand and you learn a lot of things that way. But I mean, even if some people have a mentor where 
you know, they have a grandfather who's too old to go out with them still. So they're just telling them stuff, but you still have to go out and actually learn, you know, you still have to go out yourself and experience it for yourself. Cause it doesn't matter how much you, you, you know, you watch or you read or, or all this stuff until you go out and do it. But it definitely helps when you have a little bit of a head, you know, like you get a heads up with stuff like your book for sure. Yeah. Boots on the ground. There's, there's no uh, replacement for boots on the ground. Yeah. So, um, we got a bunch of, uh, whole whack well i got a handful of questions i think you got some i got a couple too but yeah i think they'll probably overlap a little bit from from what was asked earlier yeah so we kind of uh, i mean obviously everybody who listens to this show doug uh they already know who you are so we don't have to get into all that jazz about doing intros and stuff and if uh, any anybody hasn't uh hasn't listened to those other ones then just stop this and go back i don't know what episodes (laughs) they are listen to listen to those ones first and then tune into this one um, so I think, you know, right now bear season's open. It's a little early. Um, there's still quite a bit of snow up high in the mountains. I mean, the south sides down low, I guess are starting to green up. I haven't seen any bears yet, but again, I don't really look too hard. Um, I've heard of a few out just from some friends, just loggers and stuff like that. They're starting to notice them, but, uh, nothing crazy yet. No. So what do you, what do you think, Doug? Like this time of year, um, you know, you're looking up in the mountains, we're getting, we're getting to like where around 10 degrees is the high snow lines about halfway up. Where should guys start if they want to get out into the backcountry and just start looking for bears right now? What's the first thing they should be looking for? That green up area. Um, yeah. You know, what, whatever's green up first is what I would pay attention to. When I have a spring bear tag, I kind of go high and I, I start looking for sign. And, and then I just start going lower and lower until I start seeing sign or I see areas where there's spring bear damage. And when I mean damage, I mean like tree peels and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, weather changes year to year. We have we have cold springs and we have warm springs. And right now, I think we're in a cold spring. And it's, you know, we've got snow in the foothills just above my place. Um, and so if I had a spring tag this year, I would be kind of below that snow line. But but still looking for that food source looking for that green up south facing slopes yeah hit those Um, south facing slopes yeah yeah um swamps where there's where there's uh uh skunk cabbage growing um seeing if they're munching on that that type of stuff yeah i think in the wetter areas for sure that skunk cabbage i mean i don't even think i've seen skunk cabbage where i am but i mean like we find down and again down in those those low areas where um it's easy for them to get around and, and scourge for food a lot of dandelions up here um, they hit those dandelion patches pretty hard. So if you find a dandelion patch, you're pretty much guaranteed to find a bear or two or three. Does that skunk cabbage pop up pretty quick? Like in comparison to like dandelions and all that kind of stuff, we just need some heat and that stuff starts flying out left, right, and center. Kind of comes up first. Um, okay. I don't know if you've seen it. It's got a bright yellow bu- uh, bulb that comes out of the swamp. That's about the size of your palm probably. And then it just from there it starts to branch out a uh, real broad leaves that are like a foot foot wide or 10 inches wide and then they're like three foot long maybe longer yeah. in spots um when they're full grown um but yeah i mean that starts that starts coming up early spring those those yellow bulbs start shooting up right you know yeah we've early. seen we've seen a lot of that stuff on the coast um, yeah that's where i remember right. it the most and sometimes if i remember right too um a little up by revelstoke and stuff like that i think they've got some of that in some of the little wetter sections right not so much i think i have seen a little bit down here in the kootenays but not a lot and it's probably probably closer to golden and revelstoke is where i'm remembering it from yeah okay gotcha so doug what kind of sign other than uh you know those tree peels um 
dandelions? What kind of other food sources do you think the bears would be hitting this time of year? Depending on your terrain, um, you know, they like those they like those wild onions. Um, really, just any sort of brush or greenery that's popping up. It's a little early yet for fawns. Um, that would be the next thing. Uh, you know, if there's if there's rotted logs or stumps, they'll dig into those. Just anything that you can think of that a bear in your area would eat. Um, as far as sign goes, to me, scat is like the number one thing I'm looking for. If, you know, if, if I can't find tree peels or if I'm in an area where there's not a bunch of trees, I'm looking for scat in that green up area. If I find a green up area and it's got fresh scat in it, you know, that's, that's money. Um, and then, you know, any sort of wet spot along the road, you know, any puddle, anything like that, or just out walking, I'm always checking that to see if there's tracks in it. I don't find tracks as much as I do scat because it's, you know, it's more prevalent and more obvious you can step in grass you're not going to have a print but you can take a dump there and you're going to obviously see that so scat is usually what i'm looking for but i always check those those damp areas to see if i can find prints see how fresh those prints are and you can tell how fresh a print is by how defined it is yeah you know how how clear it is how sharp the the print is and if you're new to it the more you observe it the the easier it'll get but if a print is you know is is dull or kind of faded you know that's an older print and a lot of that depends on the weather too i mean if it's raining and blustery and crappy out a fresh print could go kind of old looking within hours but if it's if it rained the day before and they stepped in a mud print that evening or that evening and you check it the next morning that print will look pretty fresh so you just got to kind of factor in the weather and and the soil and all that stuff too but yeah for sure you definitely want to be checking you know the area they're going to you want to be cognizant of of what's been going on with the weather because yeah like you said if it's uh, a sharp print can last for days but if it gets a rainfall even within 12 hours it's gonna have you know it's gonna look like it's been washed a bit um yeah and yeah another thing too like you said there flip i've found rolled stumps flipped over boulders you know they're in there picking picking that stuff picking the roots picking out the bugs and stuff whatever they can get their hands on yep avalanche shoots any of that stuff yeah big ones for sure um but yeah i think for for uh um locating yeah i think just hitting those greened up areas Mark mentioned this last time too, is the grizzly bears kind of keep the black bears up high. They don't only like to come down and, and mingle with the grizzly bears. So yeah, the grizzlies will kill them. Yeah. Yeah. They'll kill and eat them. So, I mean, if you're the small guy in the block and you want to survive, you're not going to head down to where the big boys are. No, exactly. So if, the, if that's the case, then, uh, you best off maybe just waiting a, l- a few weeks till, till that snow level starts, re- starts to recede quite a bit and yeah. gets a little higher. Either that or get above the grizzlies, but I guess it all depends on if you're comfortable with grizzlies. Then, and it, I mean, if you live in BC, you should be. So, right. Uh, you got any questions on that, Pete? Oh, okay. Well, I think we're, we're gonna, gonna just go this. through the co- topics here. We'll stay on locating. I guess is I guess yeah. locating is probably one of the biggest one of the biggest things. I know for new hunters anyway. Yeah, and, and coming from a new hunter like myself, you know, like I, I get the basics and stuff like that. You know, like when greens are popping up and follow the food source. Um, I think you talked a little bit about that, uh, stripping of trees and stuff. Yeah. Um, so if I'm going out to an area, like I got some areas, I can guarantee you there's bears there all the time. It's just lots of slides, lots of like, it is as nice of bear habitat as you're ever going to find anywhere. Now, if I was trying to isolate certain areas, especially when I'm first getting in there, you know, snow levels rising, I'm getting up and there's a little bit of green popping here and there. Um, 
obviously I'll check out those green areas, but if I'm looking for those tree strippings, what will it look like to me? Like if I'm, if I'm going along, like what should I be looking for? So you want to put your hands together you make a C with either hand and connect them together and then kind of spread that out a couple inches. And that's about the size of the tree that you're looking for. Um, they're like, you know, five to 10 year old trees. Um, but what it's going to look like is the bark's going to be stripped down and lots of times, not all the time, but lots of times all the way down to the ground. And there's going to be vertical lines that go up and down the tree. Um, and those are the teeth marks. And what that is, is the bear's scraping his teeth up and down after he's stripped the bark and he's eating that cambium layer. He's eating that pitch. Um, and sometimes you'll be walking like, for example, you'll be walking an old logging road and you might see only a small little strip of a tree and they're they're actually testing that tree to see if it's ready and sometimes it's not ready yet the sap's not coming up so they'll leave that tree alone it might be the right size and everything but it's just not ready yet um to their liking and then you keep walking down that road and there might be another patch that is getting a lot more sunlight and then those trees are ready before the other one is and then they start ripping all those um and you can tell you know a fresh strip on a tree from how how white uh not white but uh the, the sap's not down the bark yet you know um when they strip it sap, if it's fresh sap won't be down that bark that much um, but as it ages, it, the, the, the wood kind of fades, the sap kind of starts to come down and that will harden up and fade. Um, so you just kind of get an eye for a fresh peel and an unfresh peel. And I have examples of this in the book and online and stuff like that too, even on, on my Instagram page. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of what you're looking for. I mean, it looks like someone's scraping that bark off and vertical lines with their teeth and it, and, and it'll go up, you know, maybe six feet, sometimes taller, sometimes less, sometimes now porcupines do this too. porcupine strip trees too. And how you can kind of tell the difference between a bear peel and a porcupine peel is that there will be porcupine scats kind of round or almost looks like a big rabbit pellet or something like that, but it's, it's round and sometimes it'll be at the base of the tree or sometimes they'll even find quills at the base of the tree. Um, but most, most of those peels that I've run across are bear peels. They're not porcupine peels. Porcupines almost go right up to the top of the tree lots of times. Okay. Yeah. I've seen lots of that stuff and I just always assumed it was, I didn't, re, I didn't even know bears did that other than, you know, scratching and stuff like that. Yeah. I just, so anytime I've seen trees stripped, I'm like, man, that was a hungry as a hungry porcupine, they're stripping all that off. Oh, and you, you brought up a good point too about scratching. So, you know, if you're walking along and you find an alder that is broken at like six feet or five feet and just looks like it's been bent over, bears, they'll go up against that alder and they'll grab that branch. They'll pull it over their shoulder and snap it and rub all over that tree. And that's like a scent marking thing that's, you know, hey, this is my area. Um, so keep an eye out for that too. Always, I always check brush. Like if, if a tree is busted or brush is all mangled up, I'm looking for hair. I'm looking, why is this bust it up, you know, um, pay attention to that stuff. Cause that can clue you in on, on, if it's a color phase bear, if it's a grizzly, if it's a jet black, um, if, if a bear did it, or maybe it was an elk, you know, that type of thing, but pay attention to busted up brush and busted up alders. That's good to know. That's good yeah. to know. Yeah, absolutely. Guys are going to love that. Now, as we get moving on, uh, I guess things warm up. It, uh, things change a bit. What, uh, you know, say like the first week of May to middle of May, what, uh, what should guys be, be looking for, Doug? I'm still looking for fresh sign, looking for that green up, looking for now, now it's getting warmer. The trees, more and more trees are going to start having that sap come up. So there's going to be more and more peels. So I'm looking for more and more of those areas, focusing on that, um, if you're in an area where they're not, you know, those trees aren't available and maybe it's a more arid, arid desert-like area, um, I would 
try predator calling if I'm having a hard time finding bear or if I, if I have a good vi vista, a good view of an area with a bunch of coolies and maybe some trees and stuff down in the coolies. I don't want to spread my scent all throughout that area. Predator call. Let that sound do the work for you. So it's, it's not pushing your scent all throughout it, but you might draw some bear out of those coolies. Bear don't know that you know, that an animal is not going to be crying out for in agony um, because calves haven't dropped. Mm -hmm. So just because the calves haven't dropped doesn't mean that a bear is not going to, the predator response for a bear isn't going to trigger and it's not going to come in. It might be more accurate if after the, the calves have dropped, but you know, there's still calves from last year walking mm -hmm. around with their moms um, and they can easily be caught up in a fence or a coyote or anything like that squealing. Um, so just because calves haven't dropped, you shouldn't not predator call. Right. So when, do, when you're, when you have a spring bear tag, when do you start your calling? Lots of times it, it's not necessarily the time of year or, or whatever. It's if I feel like there's a bear in the area and I'm just having a hard time finding it. Um, or if I'm bored, like if I'm, if I'm walking around and I'm seeing scat or I'm seeing, uh, you know, bear sign, I will use that predator call to try to to try to jar something loose. I don't really care if it's the beginning of April or if it's the end of June. Um, I will use that regardless because again, I don't think the bear, you know, they don't have a calendar. They don't yeah. have it marked that, Hey, you know, calves are dropping the, the end of May or whatever it is. Um, so yeah. And, I, and like you said too, I mean, they don't know that they don't know when the calves are dropping. They don't know what time of the year does they just know something sounds like something's hurting or dying over there and they're scavengers. So they want a piece of whatever's, whatever's happening over there. Yeah. And you don't have to do a calf call all the time or, or a fawn distress. You can do a rabbit or you can do, I like doing odds. I like doing like a pig squeal or maybe something they haven't heard before. Right. Something that will trigger that, you know, hey, come check this out because they haven't heard it. Um, yeah, I, I find they're really curious, too. I mean, they, a lot of times I've called bears in and they've come up and had a look. And like, I don't know if I don't think they busted me, but they just kind of come up and look. And, it, you know, maybe it was me. Maybe my maybe I was too loud or something, but they kind of just like to investigate and then just move on. So, yeah. And, and you know, that's all you need. Um yeah. You just, you need them to come in and be interested long enough for you to take a shot and, you know, decipher if it's a sow with cubs, that type of thing. But yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Now we get going when it starts, you know, the rut's getting close. Uh, again, it's kind of the same thing, right? It's going to be food source is going to be a big one. What about water? You know, as things start to heat up, you know, you get to those, we're starting to get to those late 20, early 30 afternoon days. Um, the time of day I find right around then is a big one. You're going to want to hit those very early mornings or later after late, you know, evening type of thing. You know, what, what are some of the, you know, the top factors when searching for bears, you know, right around the rut? So, you know, the, the later, the later it gets, the more food's going to be available. And, and just like in, in early spring, food is concentrated, bears are concentrated. Late fall, food is, um, you know, it's dwindling, but the bears are more concentrated on what's remaining. As, as the season progresses, food becomes more and more available and the bear become more and more spread out. But the good thing about the rut is that boars will be walk, <clears throat> walking around looking for sows and heat. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you have a tag during the rut, a good strategy for people is to sit on an elevated position and glass down into areas where you can see maybe they're walking the logging road or a trail. Um, and, and you can find those boars cruising, looking for a, a south scent trail um, because they're, you know, they're interested in, 
in the business at hand. And so you use that to your advantage. Um, you know, naturally they're still looking for food and everything else, but, but during that time of year, they're focused on sows. Um, and so that should be your focus too. They're going to be moving a lot more during the rut, in my opinion. Well, bear move a lot anyway, but they'll be searching more and more broader areas looking for those sows in heat. Yeah, I find I see them a lot more in those, like in that during that process during the day. Like I've seen those suckers cruising around, you know, second week of June in 33 degree weather, mid afternoon, just cruising around looking for looking to pick up that scent trail. And, and you're right, too, about the heat. Um, I, I forgot to mention that. You know, I always tell people, you know, go outside, mow your lawn in a T-shirt or go outside and, and, and mow it with a sweater on, you know, on a 70-degree day and, and see which one you like better. Um, yeah. You know, bear have that sweater on all the time. They get hot. And so they focus on staying kind of cool. They stay in shaded areas, creek bottoms, you know, draws, that type of stuff. Um, you know, they venture out in the open lots of times, but they're not out there necessarily all day they're kind of in and out close to cover that type of yeah they're definitely uh they definitely utilize the the cool temperatures when they can one really effective way is when it's really hot locating them down in those deep gullies where there's water source way down there and like i know guys that were always uh it's too hot to hunt i mean the chance i mean it all depends on how far back you are too because that meat you got to get that meat out before it spoils but um um i mean that's just a process there's other there's ways to work around that but i found it you know on those really really hot days down in those deep deep gullies where it's really thick and treed down there and there's a water source down there i found loads of them in those i had uh good success in there this year sorry last year the last couple of years when it's been hot like this if i'm going out hunting in august or early september i've got a creek bottom that i just go to and it's got a deep pool in it and i'll just go swim in that pool and it's it's on kind of a bend so i can see like 100 yards one way 120 yards the other and um i'll just hang out there midday and my son got his first one his first bear two years ago, uh, when I was swimming in that pool, we heard it come in and it came across the creek and he ended up shooting it and it fell in the creek. And then last year I, I predator called in that area and called one in it right at the 45 minute mark, uh, came right into 20 yards. And, um, so yeah, I've just been hanging out. Like when it's hot like that, I like to stay cool. The bears like to stay cool. So why not just go hang out in the creek and, and go hunting? Yeah, I think that that's definitely uh, this spring. Obviously, we get uh, up here, we still get a chance at two bears. So I think I'm just going to try some things out, try to try to utilize that this year. Uh, it's amazing how much cooler the things are down below there. Once you get down there, man, I, I, I'm this year. I'm going to bring a thermostat just to see it with the temperature drop from when you're up top to when you get down in those gullies where you know you get a little bit of water down there and it's so thick. It's amazing how much cooler it is down low. And like again, why wouldn't you? They want to be down there. Yeah, I mean, even even just being by a water source, it seems to cool things down, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, even checking out, I'd, I'd be curious, you know, you guys talking about that, just some of the areas that I talked about too, is maybe hitting up some of the... Uh, the deciduous trees areas that are a little more, a little more of those. Cause you walk into one of those versus walking to a straight pine stand. I mean, there's a huge temperature difference regardless whether the sun's hitting both the same. I mean, they just, you know, the, all those deciduous trees, the birches and the lark and all those, I mean, they just, they keep it so cool in those areas. I'd be curious in the hotter times, if, if they're cruising through those a little more than they are like the pines and, you know, I, I don't know about furs. You know, I, uh, I, I really noticed it especially in September when I'm bow hunting elk and, you know, after a morning hunt, 
if you head out to the wide, because where I hunt elk, it's it's arid, it's desert, um, but with you know pine trees and stuff. But man, once you get out in that wide open lava field or something like that, it just cooks you, cooks you to death. <laughs> it's way hotter. So you can see why you know elk and bear and stuff like that hit the shade in in mm-hmm. in the midday like that. Do you ever find if like any patterns or anything like that, like? Yeah, we know like certain foods, certain times of year will grow, you know, like on the south facing slopes and stuff because they get hit by the sun a little more. You ever find they'll cruise certain areas where they'll start in one and purposely go to, let's say, like a north facing slope for the midday and then kind of come back or come back to the more the greened up areas per se earlier um, to find food, you know, like kind of hitting those cool spots on the on the mountain sides, just a different facing slope or is it just kind of like an elevation more? more or less most of the time i'm not pattern i'm not around bear long enough to really pattern them uh pattern them um you know i I, i've i've seen patterns in behavior but i'm rarely around a certain individual bear to where i pattern it um usually because if i if i see it and i want to hunt it i'm gonna go you know kill it so i'm not around it actually that long um I, i think bear have have the patterns of trying to stay cool and finding that food source um, and coming out in the mornings and early evenings. And I would say that that pattern is fairly typical of most bears until some bears, bigger ones, especially kind of become nocturnal during certain times of the year and stuff like that. Um, But yeah, most of the time I'm just not around them long enough. That's fair enough. Uh, Yeah. Like I've, I've seen bears consistently, you know, two, three years in the same spot um, in the spring and early summer. And then I haven't seen them there in the fall. So, yeah. And that's, that's, you know, because that, that food source is probably mm, faded away. I, I had uh, one guy, I had one guy send me a question on Instagram and he wanted to know, um, is there a, a way to distinguish between a sow and a boar while you're glassing other than a sow with a cub? Um, and so for that, I would say usually sows have kind of a bigger butt uh, and a thinner face um old older boars are have kind of a, a blocky head kind of a smushed nose you know the nose is shorter the head's blocky and they got bigger shoulders and kind of a smaller butt so that's something to kind of look for uh and watch their kind of watch their mannerisms their behavior um boars kind of have a swagger to them um especially bigger ones so spend time i mean even today i was watching a youtube video on bear just to just to watch how bear walk right. and you know different body language and stuff so spend time doing that in your off time and and you'll get more and more familiar with it so i just i told the guy i'd answer that question and i want to make sure i put that out there yeah for sure um we got to ask that question too that was that was one of the ones on the list that somebody wanted to know there just yeah just i mean the thing about you. bears is you definitely get i mean everyone's done it you you get surprised you do definitely ground shrinkage when you're glassing a bear and you yeah. shoot it at 200 yards and you get up to it and you're like holy shit that seemed a lot bigger uh, in my optics than it did when you get up to it. But, um, but like, yeah, like you said, yeah, the walk I find too, is just, yeah, they're man, uh, a younger boar or even just a younger bear. They just act a lot differently than an older one. You know what I mean? It's kind of like a, a teenager to an adult. They're not, you know, the adults aren't pissing around. They're, they're just getting shit down there. They have a specific goal and that's what they're doing where, you know, you kind of see the younger ones are just goofing around you know just yeah acting younger and younger they they might act a little bit more timid or a little bit more meek kind of checking their back trail a lot and the bigger ones just really don't care you know they just kind of stroll in um yeah definitely 
for sure. Yeah. I know I saw I saw one question also somebody was asking and kind of goes on to the won't say heat or whatever, but they wanted to know if there's any particular kind of weather that will make bears just hunker down. Um, and there's no point in even hunting in it for them, or it's just a matter of regardless of the weather, they're just changing their patterns up a little bit, so to speak, to adjust for those weather conditions. Um, I guess I just want to know if there's irregardless, you can hunt them all day, every day. You just got to kind of figure out the conditions that are out there, or if it's just like, oh man, it's like 50 degrees out. There's no point in even going any, you know, out for them. Sometimes when it's super hot, you know, I, to me, they're bed down. And I always think I wouldn't want to shoot one in this heat anyway. But, well, you know, when it's hot like that, their hides probably aren't the greatest. Um, you know, in August, I'll go out as just as just kind of an early run, you know, to get into shape and to get things going, to get blow the stink off, not being so rusty. Um, but for me, like downpours, when it's really windy and crappy outside and it's rainy, I haven't had a lot of luck with bear in that. I've had a lot of luck with blacktail. Now, blacktail love that weather, blacktail deer. Um, bear, not so much. At least that's been my experience. Other people might have other experience, but that's been mine. So I kind of like calmer days, cloudy days, cloudy days with a little bit of wind or a little bit less. I like, uh, but yeah, downpours, I don't have a lot of luck in. I've seen a couple bears in, in real crappy downpours, but they were just heading to cover basically so yeah i i've never seen i mean i've seen a little bit of rain but again i'm not out there when it's down when it's windy and pissing it so um yeah and a lot of that i think has to do with you know the wind and the rain cuts down the sound and if i'm if i'm predator calling that's not a good day to call and so that's that's another thing for me is like well if i'm if i'm out there and i can't really predator call if i get bored eh, you know i'll probably stay home and drink coffee yeah yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think it's one of those senses that a lot of animals, they don't like losing their sense of hearing. I mean, they rely on it so much. Um, but yeah, it's weird. Definitely with those blacktails. I mean, I remember on the coast, they, but I guess they're just used to it. Yeah. The, they don't go out in the rain. They don't go out at all. I always Some say places. the crappier the crappier the weather, the better the blacktail hunting. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, too. And I, I think um, to just to finish on that question you just mentioned there, Pete, um, you kind of just got to evolve as the bear hunting season goes, um, you know, just keep getting out, look for sign and you'll slowly start to kind of pattern and see what's going on as the warmer temperatures come, you know, what's going on with the food sources, all that stuff you're not going to necessarily find them in June where they're going to be at the beginning of May. So, but if you're out enough, you're going to see that fresh scat, you're going to see those fresh tracks. So you're kind of going to get an idea of how to pattern them where they're moving uh, and kind of just get a feel for it. And that goes back to what we talked about earlier, just getting out and, you know, putting that time and putting the boots on the ground. Yeah. And, you know, pay attention to what's coming in. I mean, that can change from week to week as far as, you know, for example, skunk cabbage comes in right away real early, um, you know, and after that it's, it's green grasses and stuff like that. But then uh, one area I was predator calling in, uh, opening day in August, like no berries were ripe. The blackberries, nothing was ready yet. Maybe some, some huckleberries and stuff were ripe, but uh, predator calling and I called in one bear from the forested area. My brother screwed up and he ended up not getting a shot, but I went and looked into that forested area and it was just a carpet of low-lying vine running blackberries, real small ones that you make pies out of. But that whole area was ripe. Um, and so that was this was kind of when I was first starting to bear hunt, but that clued me in like, Hey, in this area, those specific berries are ripe. That's a food source for these bears. And I'm sure they've 
clued in on it. Mm-hmm. And so those type of areas is something you want to store in the back of your head to be thinking of, all right, this is a food source in early season. That's something I can pay attention to while the more obvious large mm-hmm. blackberries aren't, aren't available yet. Right. Yeah, definitely. It would be safe to assume that uh, your older, older boars and sows kind of figured all that over time. And, you know, like they'll come back to those same patches year after year they'll say maybe not the same patch but the same areas knowing that you know last six seven years that skunk cabbage has come up in these areas here first and then the blueberries over here vice you know whatever's popping up these or do you think they just wander and just find those find those areas or do you think they actually return to the same ones i think they return to the same ones lots lots of times um you know because certain areas consistently produce throughout during specific times of the year so you know like a power line cut that area is kept clear um usually there's brush all along in the center you know and that is consistently producing berries on a specific time of year and i think bear clue in on that um the creek bottom i hunt that has bear in it year after year and it's got a water source and the and the brush and the berries come in you know year after year I, I do. I think bear clue in on that and return back to it. Um, now, I know they do a lot of wandering. They're probably not staying within the same, you know, 100 square foot area. But the the, the general, you know, couple hundred yard area, I, I think they return to it. Um, and yeah, check I, it out. I think so, too. Like I said, I, I've seen those bears two, three years in a row in the same area. And I mean, man, like the, the, there's one really nice, really nice light colored uh color phase bear i took a shot on mist and then i seen him i seen him again you know uh the year after not very far from where he was where i shot at him um but again you know if you look if you take a look at what was around food water cover right so you know obviously you know you can expect him to to come back to that area so i'm sure if i went and looked in that area again i you know there might be a good chance i'd see him again Highly likely. Somebody else got lucky, eh? Unless another hunter got him, but like me, after you take me to that spot there, and I'll come check him out for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you pictures. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you the coordinates. I'll text it. Yeah, cool. So now, uh, calling Doug. Um, let's just talk about calling a little bit. So, like, kind of go over like how you get set up on calling. You know, say you're walking into a clear cut or a saddle or someplace you think, you know, it looks like there's bears in there. You've seen bears in that area. Kind of just like walk us through what you do to get, you know, kind of like when you get in there, how you get set up, you know, kind of just run through your sequence and kind of like how long you call, how long you wait after you call before you leave, that type of thing. Well, um, so even if an area... Even if I'm not seeing sign in their area, if I if it looks like it holds bear to me, if, if it looks bearish is a term that I use sometimes, I will predator call into it because that's a good way of pulling animals out. So say I, I have come up to kind of a an overgrown clear cut with a nice tree line, and I will try to find a, a log jam or a stump, something to that effect where I can get kind of elevated looking down or with uh, maybe some brush to my back, a tree to my back. I want to have some shoot lanes. Um, I like to call them thick stuff, but the problem with thick stuff is that it's so thick, sometimes you can't get a shot. So that that is why I kind of raise up a little bit. Um, or I will look for maybe some thinner areas um, where I can have better shooting lanes. Anyway. I want the wind to my back, or I, I prefer it crossways or no wind at all. But if there is wind, I want it blowing from my back to my shooting lane. 
predators will circle lots of times trying to get your scent. And so if it's blowing in your face, they will circle around you to your back, smell you and take off. If it's going for, against your back, down your shooting lane, they will circle into your shooting lane. Um, and so that's why I have it that way. Now, again, I prefer it left to right or no wind at all. But if you have a stiff wind, um, that's one way to approach it. As far as calling goes, I call for about an hour. Uh, sometimes bear will show up within five minutes and sometimes they won't show up until the end of the hour. So I'll call for an hour and I'll wait for another 20 minutes uh, after I'm done with the set. So I'll be quiet for like 15, 20 minutes if my back and my knees will allow me to hold still that long. And when I'm calling, it's not constant noise. It's it's doing some noise on your collar for, you know, three, four, five minutes, pausing for 30 seconds to a minute listening, and then starting that noise again. And when I start off, I start off kind of quiet. And then I work my way up as time progresses to get louder and louder until it finally peaks near the end of the time. And then I will either die out, like I will squeal more and more quiet, like you're slowly dying off, or I will just completely stop like you're dead and I won't make any more noise. The point is that point of that is, is when you first call, you know, and you're calling kind of quiet, your sound waves go out a little ways, but not super far. So you're just trying to get things that might be close by. You don't want to blow them out by just wailing on something super loud. You might freak them out and have them run off. If you're doing it kind of quiet, that might pique their interest to have them come in. And then if nothing has come in, as you're blowing quietly on that thing, you increase your volume as the time progresses and that sound is going further and further out. So it's reaching further and further out to bring animals in. And if you've heard any of my podcasts before, you know that I I um, compare predator calling bear to playing with a kitten. That if you have a string and you're playing with the kitten and it's super interested in that string and then you stop moving that string, the cat's no longer interested until you start playing with that string again. It's the same way with predator calling. They tend to move when you're making noise and they tend to stop when you stop. So you have to think to yourself, hey, if I'm calling across the canyon and I think there's a bear on that far hill, how long is it going to take that bear to get from that far hill to where I am within shooting distance um, through the time that I'm calling? So it might take that bear an hour to to walk its way down that hill and then across the you know the creek bottom or whatever and then up to you it might take that much time so you have to give it time a lot of people they'll call oh i called 20 minutes or a half hour and nothing came in well you you might not have given it enough time something might have come in or it might have been on its way and you just didn't hang around long enough they're not like a coyote you know coyote calling you're doing it for 15 minutes or something 15 to a half an hour if nothing shows up you're on your way out and you're doing another set yeah for sure yeah i've had instances where i gave up too early where i've sat called called and i didn't call long enough get up and leave only to start walking out and come across a bear that was on his way up to where i was just calling from yeah the the one of the one of the last times i predator called when i was elk hunting i had i didn't follow my own advice i predator called for an hour on this rocky outcrop you know this nasty gully and I was like, oh, nothing's coming. So it was kind of a U-shape area, gully. And so I, I cut across the U-shape, went back to my truck, started driving around the corner. And this this color phase was barreling down the hill, like right toward where I was yeah. calling. And if I just would have waited, I might have had a shot. But I was like, oh, man, I can't believe that. Yeah, yeah, I think... Uh... Yeah, I learned my lesson there. But I mean, it's it's hard to do. It's hard to sit there because I mean, I've also sat there for an hour and a half, nothing. But again, I mean, I probably suck at calling compared to you. So well, no, and and 
another point I want to make out and I've made before, but just because you don't see something coming in doesn't mean you didn't call something in. So there's there's been numerous times where I've had people with me who have seen bear come in. If I didn't have those extra people with me, I would have never have seen those animals. Yeah. Um, so don't get discouraged. Like if you're predator calling, you're like, oh man, I suck. Nothing. You know, I'm, I, it doesn't sound right or I'm not seeing nothing. Well, fool yourself and say in the back of your head, well, maybe I called something in. I just didn't see it. So just keep it up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Don't give up. Yeah. They're sneaky. Cause I've called bears in too. And I, I don't know how long the bear was there. And, and I just, you know, move my head behind a, a tree to get a different, you know, sight lane. And sure enough, I see the ass end of a bear walking away, you know, he just came yeah. up and looked. And I've also had bears too, where I was calling, calling, they come up and look, and then they walk back, you know, walk out of sight. And then you freaking hammer on that thing again. And then they come back. And then they go away again. And it's like, what the fuck are you doing? Just go for it. <laughs> just <laughs> move, like move this so a little bit further. When, when that happens, I like to switch it up sometimes. And I'll, I'll throw in like, if I'm doing like a rabbit squall or a, or a fawn distress or something, and they're hesitant, sometimes I'll throw in like a coyote distress or a coyote howl. Oh yeah. And I've had bear just come barreling in after that. Yeah. They think somebody's just, stealing their lunch. Yeah. It's just something, it, it just kind of sets them off. It's something different. Um, it adds a scenario and you know, they, they might've heard a rabbit squall before and, and smelled a hunter and thought, eh, I'm not going in there, but they might not have heard a rabbit squall with a coyote howl. Um, you know, that adds yeah. authenticity to it. And, um, that, uh, yeah, I've had bear just come flying at me with that. So, yeah, there you go. I'll try that. That's a good one to remember. I like that. Yeah. So how long do you wait for you doing a calling? You did done your sets. How long do you wait before you get up? Uh, like 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Um, and it really depends on like, like I say, on how my knees and my back feel, right. you know, if I'm, yeah. if I'm in a comfortable position, that's all right. But half the time my butt's asleep and I'm like, Oh, I got to try to stand up. Um, yeah. Yeah, like 15 minutes, um, is about what I wait. So you're calling Stan. Now, one thing about calling bears is when you're calling bears, you got to remember that bear is coming in to eat something. So you got to be very careful of your setup of where you're calling the bears in too. And, and, and cougar. And Bobcat, like you can, you're, you, yeah, you might have it in your head. Oh, I'm just calling bear. But in reality, you're calling predators. And so any predator yeah. that's in that area can easily come, you know, wolves, grizzlies, any yeah. of that stuff flying in. So, yeah. So that's one thing to, uh, I mean, I've never had an instance where I was calling and something uh, got close enough, but uh, I don't know. How about you, Doug? You ever had a scary moment when you're calling? Several. Um, well, you know, on the cover of the book, Ultimate Guide to Black Bear Hunting, that bear was one of three full-grown black bears that was coming in at the same time. And I shot her at like not even 20 yards. Um, but I, I've had bobcat. I had a bobcat almost jump in my lap. I was predator calling for bear. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and there's video of it on my Instagram. And uh, I was predator calling. And all I saw was like movement and eyes. And all I did was swing my barrel to my left and it stopped right at the end of my barrel and oh, i yeah. thought man no one's gonna believe me unless i can you know get a photo of this so i kind of reached down and i grabbed my camera so i didn't have like a cell phone video thingy back then yeah and uh he kind of backed away from my barrel but i was able to get some video of it and it it kind of wiggled its tail and got pissy at me and then just ran down the the gravel road but um you know yeah. and i've had things come up behind me that I, I've heard like right on the other side of the stump that I'm leaning against that I couldn't see what it was. It comes, you know, tromping off. I've had cow elk come in and, and stomping and barking and deer and yeah, 
you get yeah, all sorts the, of stuff. the deer when you're doing the fawn calls the deers like to, they like to come to the rescue i found i yeah. got a video of one coming in and just blowing away and taking off and come back in every time you call yeah. it come running back but yeah when i set up for any calling i like to definitely cozy up into some place where i know something's not gonna reach its head over the over my shoulder and just bite into my shoulder or my neck yeah um you know cougar like to break necks um and I, I, you know, if I can't have something solid behind me, I at least want a lot of brush or to be up on a log pile to where I know I'm going to hear something coming. Um, yeah. And, and like you said, too, when you're calling, they like to move. And when you're calling, you can't really hear anything. So, um, yeah. Nope. And, you know, when you're calling, pay attention. And I've said this before, but pay attention to squirrels and birds. Like if you're hearing a squirrel 300 yards off in a tree line going nuts, doing that, you know, little chirp warning that they do when you walk in the woods. And then a few minutes later, you hear another squirrel, you know, 250 yards, start doing that chirp. And then another squirrel at 200 yards, something's coming in. Um, squirrels and birds are a big key. So when, if I hear something chirping like that, I'll, I'll definitely have my eyes focused on that area um, because they'll, they'll tell you when a predator's coming in lots of times. So pay attention to that. Yeah, that's a good tip for like pretty much, I mean, you can utilize that for whatever you're hunting you find if uh those squirrels they, they kind of like a an alarm they're the right assholes there. of the forest let's be straight oh, yeah. about they are <laughs> yeah, they, they are bust you more than anything yeah i've used them quite a bit on deer and elk actually i've had a lot of luck with them busting the the animals that i'm hunting not bears but they just hate everybody like they're just <laughs> miserable little dicks is what they are <laughs> basically and it's like you say like you can literally hear the squirrels getting like closer and closer and you're just like, man, there is something, there's something yeah. coming my way. You're like, you should pay attention even if it's behind you and it's time to turn around or whatever. Cause there's something there. I had, I had one when I was elk hunting for like 45 minutes, it was right above me just chirping away would not shut up. And I was like, man, unbelievable. And then finally this hawk came by and I, I happened to just catch it. Cause I was looking up at the squirrel and the hawk came by and snagged that thing. And I just heard it. Beep! The little, last little squirrel, you know, that's some sweet victory for me. I'm like, yes, you know, that finally that's what paid you off. Get. Yeah, that's what you get when you mess with Doug. <laughs> <laughs> the horror in its eyes as it was being carried off was victorious in my heart. Yeah, no doubt. It's awesome. awesome. Uh, what other kind of questions we got? Oh, there was a question about uh, catching bears or shooting bears that are like coastal bears compared to inland bears. I think the question was about, uh, you know, like those beach bears you get on the coast, obviously. crabs and stuff, yeah. Now, I've heard that. So in Washington, where I'm hunting, you know, I've got the sea kind of by me, but not really the ocean. I'm not out on the peninsula. And most of the animals I'm hunting, most of the bears I'm hunting are eating um, blackberries or, or brush or ants. Um, and so my experience is, is the meat's always good. I have heard, you know, that it can affect it maybe up in Alaska or something to that effect or up in BC where there's, you know, greater salmon runs kind of has their meat tasting kind of iffy. Um, and I would say if, if that's the case, make it into summer sausage or pep sticks with a lot of spices and, and maybe kill that flavor off a little bit but every bear i've had has been been good even the one i got up in alaska tasted fine to me yeah and i think that's a big thing too is how you cook it and plus how you prep it like you know hanging time i I guess the this right here that's that's my first bear and for those who can't see it or obviously those listening it's it's nice it's beautiful yeah yeah and she she was eating a um she was eating off of a cougar kill that was covered maggots so she was eating maggots left and right and when I shot her, she died in a pile of maggots and I still ended up eating that bear and it didn't, 
it didn't taste bad. It didn't taste like maggots or rotted flesh or anything yeah. like that. I'd be curious on how long as they switch their diet around, you know, cause it's not like the salmon are running all the time. You know, they have their months and all that kind of stuff and the bears key into that. Uh, and I've heard the same thing here too. Not so much where I live here. Um, but as you get a little closer to the coast or even by where Kevin is and stuff, you, you start getting to the tail end of some of the salmon runs, but I'd be curious as to when they switch over on their diet, like sure they eat salmon sometimes or fish of some sort. And then they head up and all of a sudden they're into the blueberry patches and stuff like that. And, or the huckleberry patches. I'd be curious on, you know, okay, if they do taste a little fishy or whatever people are commenting on how long it would actually take them in the berry patches once they switch over to, uh, to get that out of them. Yeah. To get that out. I wouldn't think too long. I mean, um, obviously in the earlier springtime, you're going to find more bears up high up like in those places where their food's accessible you yeah. know once that's once that's kind of run thin and then in places where you do get those runoffs of the spring um you know like the salmon run the fish runs they're obviously going to take full opportunity of that just because it's so i mean it's so plentiful and a good protein source good fat source. right they're just, at that time of the year they're just trying to bulk up for hibernation is is kind of their you know priority number one so i think again i think they're just opportunistic where they're just looking for the easiest most you know uh risk versus reward type of deal that's a another quick point too is once I've field dressed a bear, I always, and I'm done, you know, quartering it up and putting meat and stuff. I always split open the stomach and check out what it's been eating. Um, you know, I don't do that with deer because you always know what deer are kind of eating. And, but with bear, their, their diet varies so much. Um, I like to see what they're eating locally within the area that time of year. And so if you're a new bear hunter, check that out because that will clue you in. Oh, they're eating this type of berry or they're eating, you know, ants or they're, you know, whatever it is. Um, my son's first berry split it open and it was an entire hornet's nest with hornets in his stomach. So it had eaten a whole hornet's nest. Yeah. That stuff is like cotton candy to them. They love that, especially, and they get those big, uh, those big spider webs too. You find on those uh, willows, man, they just love that stuff. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I found him just sitting there licking it up like it's cotton candy. Huh, really? Yeah. But easy Very food, nice. I guess. Yeah. Anything else, Pete, you got for Q&A? Uh, I guess we go back to one quick thing. Uh, we talked about the popularity of, you know, black bear hunting. Kind of, it's it's on the uprise, it seems. Um, not only for, you know, more information being out there. There's a lot more bears in our area now than there was before, in my opinion, anyway. Um, do you think anything has anything to do with more people... Uh, getting to try it. Um, I know before my stigmatism, when I first got into hunting was, well, I'll try bear for sure. I'd never had it before. And uh, it was just like, well, I've I've heard so many people tell me, ah, it's not very good, not very good. I've had some pretty damn good bear roasts, um, some bear hams, smoked, bratwurst. I, I haven't had a bad one yet. Do you think more people are starting to get a chance to taste it and it's kind of swinging them to, oh, I'm, I'm going to go hunt that because it's pretty damn good. It wouldn't surprise me. And even, you know, even those who don't hunt. So for example, what, especially when I first started bear hunting and stuff like that, I would summer sausage or pep sticks or whatever to like a family function. And I you know, would cut up summer sausage with cheese and crackers. And I would be like, Hey, this is bear. If you want to try it, you know, check it out. And I have never had a person say, uh, I don't like it. Everyone was like, well, you know, this is bear. You can eat it. That like half of them, a didn't realize that we ate bear and B didn't realize that it tasted good. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, for me, um, 
like a bare breakfast sausage, that doesn't hurt my stomach compared to like maybe a Jimmy Dean's or something that you would buy at the store. That stuff hurts my stomach. Bear sausage uh, that I get. Um, and I, the other thing too is, you know, lots of times bear seasons are, are liberal, uh, meaning that, you know, they're, they're longer, they, they're, they allow hunters to get out before deer season. It gives us something to do prior to deer and elk. Um, and they're a cool animal, you know, and you get a great hide and a lot of good meat. And so I, I think with with podcasts and the internet and social media, I think a lot of that's just kind of coming together and people are starting to realize, hey, this is a, a great renewable resource that is available um, and and a challenge. And why not check it out? So. Yeah, I think I agree there. It's the conversation I think that has probably sparked the most interest in bear hunting. Before you never heard of it. I mean, all you heard about, I was the same way you guys just talked about, ah, bears junk, right? Doesn't taste good. Comes down to, you know, how you, you know, how you break it down, how you feel dress it, how you prepare it, you know, how, how long you hang it for, how you're preparing the meals, how well you're cooking it. That's another thing too. And I think yeah. that could be it too. A lot of people are afraid of you know, trichinosis from not cooking a bear properly, but, uh, with all the conversations around and, you know, great resources like Doug's book, I think, uh, a lot of guys are kind of getting over that. Yeah. Go ahead, Peter. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I, I was just like, no doubt. It's, uh, I I think you're spot on there. And you know, the, the multiple uses for its fat too, for a bear's fat, how, you know, from weatherproofing to cooking and, and, Heck, they even uh, make candles out of it and soap and all sorts of junk. So it's it's crazy how useful and beneficial a bear is. Yeah, weatherproofing. What do you weatherproof with? Never um, you know, people will use it for for boots. Oh no, kidding! Um, eh? Yeah, they'll, they'll grease up their boots with it. Um, uh, Clay Newcomb even has a uh, somehow to to it, it it tells if if it's going to rain or not. He had a little article on uh, on oh, like really? a weather, yeah weatherometer, I don't, uh, barometer, yeah barometer. Yeah. That's what I was, um, made out of it. You know, people make candles. It's there's a there's a whole subculture of people who use uh, bare fat for a multitude of different things. Yeah, that's one thing I got to I got to do this year is uh get more into utilizing the fat cuz I don't ever do anything with it. I just, I, I'm the same way. Like I'm guilty of that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I might use it for a few things, but I I you know, if I've got 3 inches of fat and I'm I'm shaving that off so I don't have to pack it out. But that's that's just me. Yeah, I've always just yeah, like I said I've I've always just treated it like tallow, like deer fat, like just get it off get it off the meat let the meat hang let it dry then yep. uh then pr- process it i was just picturing waterproofing my boots with bare fat pretty sure my boots would be on my dog's dog bed in the living room just be licking that thing all day long <laughs> i bet yeah. they would yeah so how how many books do you have out i know i've seen two for sure and i i'm going to be getting the uh you mentioned it earlier um the, the latest guy, one the black bear hunting yes that one there it's it's in our our inbox uh we're definitely going to order that one um where I, I always books i always tell people to to get that one like the first one no bait just bears that was like a it was a self-published book um it was just something like i i put together uh because i saw a lot of people online asking questions about bear hunting without the use of bait or hounds. And in my state, I can't bait or use hounds. And so I thought, I'm just going to compile some information and, and send that out. But that that book is self-published. Um, so, for example, I didn't publish like a thousand of them and then send them out. It is published every time it's purchased. And so for that, it's kind of expensive. And like on Amazon, I think it's like 48 bucks or something like that. But I don't I don't set that price and I don't make nearly that type of money on it. 
I always advise people, hey, don't buy that one. Buy the ultimate guide to black bear hunting because it has all that other info that No Bait Just Bears has, but more info about baiting and, and cooking and recipes and field dressing. You know, it's just a lot more cheaper and efficient. Um, as, as far as how many books I have, I have another, I have a couple other like just side projects. I have one called uh, 70 Years in the Making, um, Goats, Glaciers, and Bears. And that was just kind of a compiled um, 48 page article basically on my dad's mountain goat hunt. Um, and we ended up getting a bear on that hunt too. Um, and then I have like a little kid's book out and stuff like that. But again, those are like just kind of self-published things. The main one is the ultimate guide to black bear hunting. And the easiest place to find that is Amazon or is there any other places we can find it? Amazon, Cabela's has it uh, in stores. Some of them, um, Barnes and Noble, any online retailer would have it. You can go to the focus page too. And there's a link you just click on the book and it goes to, if you're, it go, clicks your right to, if you're in Canada or if in the U S just click on whatever one you want. Oh yeah. yeah. Bring it right to Amazon. Perfect. And you know, for those who might be kind of hesitant predator calling too, I have, I have something called the ultimate predator calls app, uh, Android and, and Apple phones. Um, and that's like four ninety nine, and it's actually recordings of me predator calling um, different sets. Like I think there's like 14 of them and you can push that to a Bluetooth speaker. Um, if, if it's legal for you to use electric electronic calls in your, in your state or province. No BC residents should be doing that. You're not allowed to. I, I, I've had lots of people find success with that. I mean, um, there was a, a group called Crooked Branch Outfitters um, on YouTube. They, they got a bear last year using that. Called it right into 10 yards. Um, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Cool, man. What else we got? Anything? Just a uh, big big thing going on tomorrow california yeah to save that any well this won't be out by tomorrow unless i i get my shit together which it's not <laughs> yeah it's it's california tomorrow and then uh you know keeping our eye out for the next attack because they're coming so stay vigilant yeah and- no we were just talking about numbers and that's another thing that bear hunters have to remember is to keep you know to keep everything tasteful keep it positive because uh it's always the predators that are under attack and whether it's going to be you know it just seems like no matter what bears are always going to be an issue um doesn't matter where you are if you're in california if you're in bc if you're in washington you know ontario doesn't really matter where you're from it just seems like they're always going to be a target to try to get it shut down and it's it like you said doug it's such a great renewable resource and i mean i love bear hunting love it like I look forward to spring bear hunting. Uh, you know, I don't know. I'd say as much as mule deer hunting, but that's that's a lie. You're a mule deer freak. <laughs> well, you, you know, the, the one thing animal rights activists and myself have in common is that we both want to see the bear population be healthy and successful. We just have a difference in how we think that should occur. Yeah. And I think that's important that people who, who hunt showcase that to non-hunters and be like hey you know we don't want to kill every single bear on the face of the planet that's the last thing we want we want you know a healthy bear population but to have and and deer and other ungulates stuff like that but to have that happen they need to be managed and educate yourself and give stats on why that is yeah exactly and that's the thing is if we have too many bears it'd be like the whitetail right the cwd it's like if you have too many bears in an area number one is they run out of resources so they start dying off um disease so uh oh man i just totally i had to think about my screen i lost what i was talking about sorry guys (laughs) (laughs) it came and said my internet connection is disabled so i thought maybe you guys didn't hear me but anyway uh, well it's you know it's it's easy to go back to so you know 
male bears, they, they kill and eat cubs to get the sows into heat. You know, there's infant side, there's, there's all sorts of issues that arise when, when bear are not managed, not just for the bear population, but for the ungulates and, and all sorts of stuff. So, um, yeah, it, yeah. Exactly. If anyone has questions about that, you know, there's, there's numerous articles written on it. They can, they can contact me and I can direct them, um, where they can find more info and stuff like that. I'd be happy. Yeah. To- yeah. That's what, that's what I was getting at is that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's it's used as a management tool. Hunting is a management tool. It's a great management tool when used correctly. Now, uh, with the more hunters that you know, with the more hunters that are getting into bear hunting, having positive conversations and just letting people know, like, hey, this is this is why I hunt. This is why we need to hunt. You know, it's not just about we're not doing it to wipe out the animals. We're doing it to maintain stable, healthy bear populations. So, uh, and again, you know, just stay engaged with the non-hunting community is big. An example of that is like the bear I took last year. The bear I took last year wasn't a huge bear at all. It was a five-year-old boar. He was about 160, 170 pounds, I think. Um, but in that creek bottom, I had five cougar, different cougar, on my trail cam. I had three different failed attempts by cougar to take deer in front of just my one trail camera within like a month. And I had several different bear on that trail camera. I had so many predators on that trail camera. I said to myself, if I call in a bear today, I'm just, and it's, you know, a male, it's not a sow with a cub. I'm shooting it because this, this area needs managed. It needs some help with predators. Um, I mean, it's thick with predators. It was crazy to see. Um, so that's an example, you know, it was, it wasn't the biggest bear, but I used the hide. I took all the meat. Um, even when I went back there and the rib bones that were left, and the blood that was in the sand, it grew a fungus up. Like there is nothing that you leave in nature goes to waste. No, um, no, exactly. It, it all gets used. So Yeah. And you, whatever you leave, that carcass you're leaving with all the, you know, the insides in there, that that's an easy meal for animals that aren't going to be going after that deer. So, hey, let's just talk real quickly about field dressing. Uh, I know uh, we'll, we'll try to wrap this up here real quick, but maybe just touch on, you know, you, uh, field dressing an animal in the field, getting the hide off, you know, cause I, I know for a lot of first hunters, that's going to be something that's overwhelming. So there's, there's videos on YouTube that, that showcase this uh, meat eater has one for sure. There's a couple others. And I, I go through it step-by-step step too in the book. Um, but I just want to stress that, you know, get comfortable with this prior, especially if you haven't done it before prior to getting a bear down. So if you get the chance, go with somebody who has bear hunted before and help them with an actual um, a field dress of a bear. But um, some of the main points is, uh, you know, if you have one of those Havilon knives, have some of those extra blades with you, or at least have a sharpener if you have like a fixed blade knife. Um, bear seem to dull knives, the bear hides seem to dull knives quicker than deer or elk, in my opinion. I don't know if it's from their coarse hair or why that is, but it just seems to. So um, I will pause while I'm field dressing a bear and make sure my knives are nice and sharp. Uh, you don't want them dull because that's when you are using too much force and you slip and you end up cutting yourself. The other thing is uh, bear fat is just like putting your hand in a thing of butter. Um, it's greasy. It's not like deer where it's kind of dry. Um, it's it's layered on the outside of the meat. So when you are starting to field dress that bear and strip back, your hands are going to get slippery. That knife is going to get slippery. So take your time and just be careful. Um, if you need to pause and get hydrated, take a break, do so. Um, and that, you know, we mentioned it earlier, bear meat 
seems to turn quicker than other meat. So if it's really hot out, you know, you want to kind of gauge your abilities to get that meat out in time. Um, are you a 65 year old man who isn't in the best shape or are you 20 years old and you're only, you know, a few miles in, you, you want to make sure you can get that meat out in time. Um, so keep it dry, keep it cool, keep it clean. Um, some of the bigger hams too, like in the back, uh, once you get those peeled off, you might want to take a, a knife and just split one of the hams down to the bone on either side. If you're not, if you're not deboning it, um, lots of times the bear meat will, will cool on the outside, but still stay real warm on the inside, right, especially right up next to that bone. So stripping it back a little way, doing a cut, opening that up a little ways will allow that air to get in there and cool it down. Um, you know, don't, don't throw it in a, in a black plastic sack, the hide and drive around the back of a truck on a you know, nice day showing your, all your friends. You don't want that hair slipping, try to get it to a taxidermist as quickly as possible, unless you're going to tan it yourself. Um, don't, don't ball up the head in the center of, of the, of the hide, you want the head on the outside because that if you, unless you skin out the face, but if you have the head, the skull attached to the hide still, that head's going to stay warm for a while. And that will cause slippage. If you ball that up in the center of the hide, that heat will still radiate in there and keep that head warm and you'll get slippage around the face and whatnot. So you want that on the outside. Um, and you know, the, the paws, you can leave the paws attached, just cut, at the wrists or at the, the foot joint um, on the back feet and leave those bones attached to the hide and let the taxidermist deal with that because it's kind of intricate and, and, and dicey in there. You kind of need to know what you're doing. So if, if you haven't done it before, just leave those bones attached and bring it to the taxidermist with that um, in there. That's good too. What I like to do too is if, you, if I can, I'll let I'll let gravity help me. So if it's on a little bit of a, uh, if I can get it to a little bit of a slope, I'll face it downhill. I'll just, you know, one pot at one hand at a time, I'll slit it, you know, up the inside of its, of its arms, say, and then I'll just grab the hair and I'll just slowly work it off the meat and I'll let the, you know, the gravity pull it down. So I don't have to work as hard and it kind of keeps my hand in the hair and off of that greasy, you know, off of that greasy fat. Cause like you said, one thing, when you're skinning a bear, you'll find real quick how fatty it is underneath its its fur and once your hands get covered on that it's hard to uh or it's hard to hold the knife uh and it's just uh it's hard to hold the bear so that's what i do um yeah and like you said it, you'd go through a lot of knives a lot of blades when you're uh, when you're skinning out a bear yeah yeah they'll dull on a blade fast that's for sure fine i i with bear i just start i just use a sharpener and a fixed blade just because it's saving on money. Cause I, like I have the outdoor edges, but I'll, man, I'll go through, I'll go through a whole pack. It's going to a bear. So yeah. I just went to that and just, I just carry a sharpener in my bag and I just work it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll even use grass or something. Like if I, uh, if my, if my blade's getting gummed up, I'll use some grass or something to get yeah. that fat there to try yeah. to keep the blade clean. The other quick point too, I want to make is like, if, especially if you're a new hunter, and you shoot a bear and uh, you know you hit it because it spun or something like that. And you walk up there and you see a little bit of blood and then the blood trails off. Don't give up looking for that bear because that, that hide is the hair is long and the fat on the bear kind of plugs up those holes. So it might not bleed as much as like a deer or an elk will. So really make sure and take your time and put forth the effort that that bear deserves to make sure that you recover that bear or you figure out what has happened if you need a follow-up shot or something to that effect yeah Um, and use your ears too you're gonna hear when a bear dies you'll hear it and if you've never heard it before don't worry as soon as you hear it you know what it is 
<laughs> I actually wrote an article on uh, in the magazine. Yeah, called the the death of a bear. Yeah. It's about that hormone. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's some the first time you hear it, you're like, what the? And then, but I mean, obviously, you know about the death moan. You're like, that. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. If you hear that, that's the dead bear. You have to go find it because it's yeah. it's done. Now, and, and not all of them do it. It only happens now and again. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I've heard it, and then I've also haven't heard it. But I mean, I've, the ones I haven't heard it they've you know they didn't die right there where i would have heard it so um whether they did it or not i can't say cool buddy uh you got anything pete no just uh it's a pleasure meeting you well thanks peter you too yeah thank you definitely be putting a lot of those tips to use this year yeah Good luck to for you. sure doug's book it'll be in the show notes everybody knows where to find it yeah thank you. okay doug appreciate it thanks eh? we'll yeah. talk to you later have a good one thanks I want to thank everyone again for tuning in to another episode of the Folk Hunting Podcast, which is coming at you as part of the Waypoint Outdoors Collective. This episode of the Focus Hunting Podcast is brought to you by Vortex Optics, the best in optics, period. Backroads Maps, never get lost with Backroads Maps. And AKU Boots, you owe it to your feet. A uh, quick shout out to Hal for Wildlife. If you guys are not familiar with Hal for Wildlife, make sure you head on over to HalForWildlife.org. Become a member. It doesn't cost you anything. they got tons of great stuff going on, and uh, we're going to be working with them, getting some Canadian issues put on their uh, platform. Thanks again, everybody. Yeah.